Revolutions Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 in Brooklyn every Tuesday at 5. RPM is about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Every week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in NYC. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. Yo, what's good, New York? You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute Live from the new WBAI studios. We're a socialist radio show and podcast for members of the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. The DSA is the largest socialist organization in the United States, with 56,000 members nationwide. And NYC DSA is its biggest chapter. We are run by our 5,500-plus members and organizers who are working together to build democratic socialism in all five boroughs. The New York legislative session kicked off in Albany this month with just one elected democratic socialist in office, State Senator Julia Salazar. Today, we're joined by Jabari Brisport to discuss how the NYC DSA squad plans to change that in 2020. Jabari is one of five DSA-endorsed candidates running for New York State Senate and Assembly. But Jabari hasn't just been knocking on doors for himself. He's also been talking to New Yorkers about that other Democratic Socialist everyone's been talking about, Bernie Sanders. But first, a live reading of the headlines by me. Governor Cuomo delivered his annual State of the State address in which he proposed guaranteeing workers five days of paid sick leave, suggested banning serial sexual harassers from the subway, and again endorsed legalizing marijuana and implementing automatic voter registration. Notably, he did not discuss his executive budget or how he plans to address the state's $6.1 billion budget deficit. Cuomo commissioned this interesting poster to go with the speech. You can check that out on the thorn.nyc. Despite the state's budget deficit, Governor Cuomo said he does not plan to raise taxes. Mayor de Blasio and budget experts expect this means the governor may soon look to cut services and spending in New York City. Amid continued declines in overall crime, hate crimes in New York City increased 20% in 2019 driven in part by a significant increase in anti-Semitic hate crimes. NYPD Commissioner Dermont Shea announced that the NYPD will start publicly releasing hate crime statistics for the first time. Will they also start monitoring their officers' actions that could uh, easily be characterized as hate crimes? I uh, doubt we'll see that coming soon. And in beyond New York City, I just um, really wanted to headlight, um, highlight before ending the headlines that there's some really incredible actions that the working class is taking internationally. Um, in a big victory for striking workers in France, Macron has agreed to scrap his widely opposed plan to raise the full benefits retirement age from 62 to 64. Workers in France, though, are not giving up 
I mean, they don't need to give up because they're winning, but they're continuing to fight. They know that this is just one demand among many that they want to fight for. And so they are still out on the streets in this incredible general strike that is the largest in France in decades. And also, last week, hundreds of millions of workers in India went on strike from healthcare workers um, to all sorts of people within Indian society decided to withhold their labor and stand against Modi's fascistic government. Over 250 million workers from multiple sectors participated. This is one of the largest, if not the largest, strike in history. Um, and that is it for our daily or weekly headlines. They are brought to you by The Thorn, an incredible weekly newsletter by NYC DSA Electoral Working Group, covering local politics and radical activism. Subscribe at thethorn.nyc. So we're here with Jabari Brisport, um, who has been on our show before. You can check that out. Um, I believe that was this past summer with Lee. And Lee, I was hoping to be here today, but uh, she's doing some really great organizing work. I think she's working to stop a disastrous plan to build a pipeline in Williamsburg. So I uh, just want to give a shout out to Lee for all the incredible organizing that she does. Um, so Jabari, uh, why don't you tell us a little about yourself? So maybe our uh, listeners who didn't uh, hear the first interview or just want to hear more about your personal story. Like what forces pushed you to join the movement for socialism? Why did you join uh, DSA in particular? Um, awesome. Well, let me start by saying thanks for having me back on again, Jack. Thank you so much for coming. I love this radio show and also going to shout out to Lee for she's in the movement. She's you know, got to go to it and make sure we uh, don't do terrible things on the environment. So and I appreciate her. And hello to all the listeners who are ready to hear about transformative change in our city, state, and country. Thank you for listening. Uh, my name is Jabari Brisport. I'm a proud 32-year-old queer black guy from Brooklyn. I am a public school teacher in Crown Heights. And a little bit about my politics. I actually got uh, into politics through uh, identity politics, which you, uh, you know, it was like counter to the, the common depiction of socialists. You know, we think we're all class reductionists here. But my <laughs> first fights were for uh, gay marriage and moved on into shouting and marching the, the streets for Black Lives Matter. And it was during the 2016 campaign where I got really interested in electoral politics. I started really thinking about electing people that could fight for the vision I want. And the reason I got into that was because of Bernie Sanders and his campaign. And I was so inspired after him that I was moved to run for office in 2017 for city council. And we ran on a platform of housing justice and racial justice and economic justice. And that campaign was unsuccessful. But you know what? New York has still got a lot of problems we need to fix as socialists. So we are back again, running stronger than ever. Yeah, and uh, I'm, so many of our uh, returning listeners uh, have heard me maybe like highlight this story that our uh, our guests are telling, but I think it is just really important to always note like how people got involved in the movement, and it uh, maybe at times it feels repetitive, but that's because you know the conditions that we're all living under are the same, and everyone has their kind of own unique path. Like you're highlighting the your organizing and activism for. Uh, 
gay and just queer liberation in mm-hmm. general, fighting for that mm-hmm. and for Black Lives Matter. And I think those movements were really crucial to getting people involved mm-hmm. in an eventual, a broader movement for socialism that centers those fights, but connects them to a bigger picture and a, lar- a larger struggle to transform society. And just as you were saying in 2016, people who maybe had been involved in those struggles or had been aware of those struggles, like saw Black Lives Matter protests on Twitter and were like, wow, this is really great. How can it get involved? And then they saw the Sanders campaign. They're like, oh, let's connect these movements on the ground mm-hmm. to this electoral um, project happening at the highest level. Mm-hmm. But you've also been involved in local politics yes. since then. Um, so I just expand maybe a little bit about the uh, the city council race that you ran in 2017. What have you learned from that? And you were also endorsed by DSA in that race. So like, how do you see DSA as a mechanism for building working class power? Uh, thank you. That's an amazing question because local issues are why I got involved in DSA. Uh, somebody told me to check out a meeting shortly after Trump got elected and I got there and the room was just electric and people were excited about organizing around this project called the Bedford Union Armory. This was a terrible housing deal happening in Crown Heights where they basically wanted to take an old, defunct, empty armory space and convert it into essentially luxury housing and really high-end apartments. And we knew that would gentrify the neighborhood terribly. So we were organizing to kill the deal, which was the rallying cry. And it was great to see DSA partner with local organizations like the Crown Heights Tenants Union and New York Communities for Change and local labor unions and, you know, really center the unions that were already on the ground, especially since they were, you know, POC and black and brown led. And it was really indicative of me of what DSA is, which is an organization that brings together working people and uplifts the communities that are already there in order to fight for our collective liberation. Yeah, and I I think what was so impressive was that like DSA was at that moment, and it existed for decades before then, but the organization was transformed in yes. 2015 and 2016 by the Bernie campaign and all the movements like Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. um, that and maybe some, like people got involved in Standing Rock and then mm-hmm. they joined DSA. Uh, and w- just in that year, you were able to garner 30% of the vote it, running as a third party candidate in a city council race, which was the most that anyone had, um, gained in decades, if I'm correct on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, so that was before the AOC and Senator Salazar victories. So like, how has DSA grown since then? And is it enough for you to win your race and the other races that will, and we'll be discussing, um, the other candidates in the NYC DSA mm-hmm. squad later? But so like, what has DSA, how has DSA developed and built power in the years since your run? Yeah, yeah, yeah. DSA has really grown and matured. I want to say we've like doubled or tripled in size since 2017. We've matured as an organization and just gotten much, much more savvy, especially in electoral politics. I mean, we went from running two city council, really scrappy and impressive city council campaigns in 2017 to full on victories with Julia Salazar's state senate race in 2018 and AOC's congressional race and, you know, taking on the entire borough of Queens with Tiffany Caban and, you know, just losing by short, you know, uh, just a very small margin of votes. And now look, here we are in 2020 running a full on slate of six candidates for state and federal offices. It's just extremely, extremely impressive. And um, I think we have what it takes to, to bring this on. Although I would say like, 
you know, even though DSA's strong part is uh, the field organizing and how many how many people we turn out, I would say people listening, we can't rest on our laurels. Like it's it's you that makes this happen. It's it's your passion of coming out on knocking on doors and believing that this is a movement of many people, not just simple figureheads or simple politicians, but it's about all of us getting out in the streets every day and attending the the actions and the rallies and talking to our communities. That's what's gonna make us win. Yeah, absolutely. It's not about the individuals. Yeah. It's a collective yeah. movement that's building power. It's growing as an organization, not just the organization itself. I would say even the broader socialist movement yeah. in New York City and across the country is building power. It's, it's learning from mistakes or not even just mistakes. You're going to, when you're in a fight, and I think that you really just hit on this. It's, it's that like we have to continue to fight yeah. and you have to take punches, learn from that. And grow. And the, cause the other side automatically, or not automatically, they already have power. Mm-hmm. And we're working to fight against that established power. Mm-hmm. So you can't just be like, oh, we got, you know, we got a few great candidates elected. That's just part of yes. the broader struggle. And so I, I really want to expand on that in a bit. But just before we do that, who are the, other DSA endorsed candidates? Like what are their names? What districts are they running in? And like, how are you all working together um, to change the kind of balance of power within Albany and shift it towards socialists and the working class? Okay, awesome. So um, we have right here in Brooklyn, I'm going to start with Ferris or Front Forest, who's running in the neighborhoods that overlap with my district a lot of Fort Greene, Clinton Hill, Prospect Heights, parts of Crown Heights, parts of Bed-Stuy. Um, she's an amazing housing activist and a union nurse. And we've been even canvassing together, which is great. There's Marcella down in Sunset Park, Red Hook, who's also running for state assembly against Felix Ortiz. Um, she is an incredible housing organizer as well. And, you know, we've been collaborating, too, on strategy and how we're going to really just bring up the voter turnout. Like, Red Hook has really poor voter turnout, which is great for establishment politicians. But we want to make sure people feel involved in the movement. There's also Boris Santos, who um, is also in Brooklyn with me, and he's an awesome um, organizer and former chief of staff to Julia Salazar, who's working to unseat uh, Eric Delon. And you have Zoran out in Queens, Astoria, who is just running such an impressive campaign. And I just tell him that every other day that it just it brings a smile to my face, seeing his his emails and his organizing prowess and how he's really just going to challenge the establishment and and really revolutionize his, his uh, corner of Queens and the rest of New York State with us. And uh, there's also Samalise Lopez up in the Bronx running in New York 15, who is an incredible organizer and about to help us out at the federal level with DSA's organizing and, and our, our platform. Yeah, I guess it's a bit of a separate squad in that sense because yeah, yeah. Samalise is running for federal and you guys are kind of trying to transform state politics. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it's all connected yeah. within the movement together. So um, I guess to just really kind of maybe not recap, but let our listeners know like what you're trying to build upon what the movement is trying to work with like what have we been able to accomplish with just senator julia salazar in albany and what has dsa learned from both her campaign to get elected as well as her time in office awesome 
Julia Salazar needs her own personal shout out because she has been doing such a phenomenal job, phenomenal, phenomenal representing DSA in Albany. And, you know, once you get there, Albany is a very, it's a harsh place, you know, and Julia Salazar has really stood her own and stood true to herself and the movement and to DSA. And I just commend her for how much she's done. And she's pushed the conversation so far over on decriminalizing sex work. She was instrumental to the incredible housing victory we had last year, and she's also pushing forward this bill for good cause eviction, which is something all the slate candidates are behind. And if you're listening and you haven't seen it yet, we actually just released a joint campaign video on good cause eviction, which is um, has never been done before, to my knowledge, of having multiple candidates do a joint campaign video on a specific issue that is really near and dear to our hearts and will help m- millions of people in New York State. So I'm very proud of what we've been able to accomplish with one person and Imagine jumping from one person to six uh, socialist politicians who are not only legislators, but people with a bully pulpit and who have movements behind them. I imagine we can radically change things in Albany. Yeah, and uh, just building off of that, mm-hmm. and I think you were just mentioning like one part of your collective vision, which is getting the Just Cause Eviction mm-hmm. Bill passed. Like, What are you working towards? Like, what, What's your policy platform, your collective vision for New York? And how significant, and I think you just kind of laid it out a bit, but maybe in a, a little more detail, how significant would it be to have six DSA members in Albany? I think we can do some incredible work. I mean, it's... It's funny. I think of us, I think of us as like the, the exact opposite of the IDC. Like, you know, the IDC was this awful group that was collaborating with Republicans and just, um, dragging the Democratic Party even further to the right. So, um, if you think about how much you hated the IDC, that, that's how much you'll love the socialist squad <laughs> in Albany. Cause we're going to be, we actually, we are actually of movements and we're of our communities and we're fighting for the working class. So, you know, working together, we can, really, really be fighting to ensure that New York City, and sorry, that New York State does have single-payer health care with the New York Health Act, and that we do have a housing guarantee, and we're fighting to uplift our public housing, rehabilitate it, and also expand on socialized housing. We'll be fighting for our public banks and fighting for our public energy system. We'll be fighting for decarceration. We have an amazing decarceration platform we're about to release, and um, you know, we'll be fighting for fully funding education. That's something near and dear to my heart as a public school teacher. So we're really looking to just wrest New York politics from the hands of capital. And, you know, politicians all the time say, you know, we want to make a New Yorker something that works for all of us. And, you know, people have different meanings when they say that. But like when I say it and when socialists say that, we really mean that, you know, we've taken the profit motive out of housing and education and healthcare and energy <clears throat> because only by taking that motive out can we actually serve the needs of people and put people over profit. Yeah, you just like explained what is a really impressive and all-encompassing platform and that would transform the lives of New Yorkers mm-hmm. for the better. People would just have so much more I th- freedom in their life and they would not be kind of drowning in debt and um, afraid of losing their job and then losing their home and losing everything. Mm-hmm. This would really empower people. But you also um, made another crucial point, which is you did identify the enemy. And I think... Mm-hmm. 
that your point about when some people talk about this is for all, they're trying to cover up mm -hmm. the central contradictions yep. in society mm -hmm. between capital and labor and the and like the forces of reaction. And we're here in New York City where Wall Street is here. This is the center of global financial capital. And many corporate headquarters are also located in New York City. So this is the mm -hmm. home of um, the most powerful uh, mm -hmm. forces of capital, of the enemy of socialists. But there's also a deep history of working class struggle and then also mm -hmm. like working class institutions. New York City is one of the most unionized places, if not the most unionized place in the country. There's a great community organization. You have mm -hmm. a community radio station like WBAI. So with the, that in mind, considering how uh, the forces of capital and reaction are aligned together against the socialist movement. How do you plan to push through NYC DSA's agenda? What is your theory of social change and how important are working class institutions for that fight? Thank you. They working class institutions are crucial. My theory of social change is making the maximum demand um, coupled with elected officials that will support it and mass movements on the ground that will uplift it and amplify it. And uh, it's funny, you know, I think back to my experience with gay marriage too, just going back to that, my, my initial organizing back when I was a, a wee young man of 20 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I was being so pragmatic thinking, well, what if instead of gay marriage, we fought for civil unions because it's less controversial and we're more likely to get it. And I, I'm, I'm so ashamed to admit I once too believed in the incrementalist approach to politics. And many of us did. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, uh, even fighting in New York State, we actually lost the first vote. So New York State voted twice on gay marriage. And in 2009, we lost the vote it, you know the, the senate said you know said no to it we lost it and i was thinking oh man see see that's we should have been going for civil unions that's proof but the movement itself said no there's no concessions no half measures our demand is full equality it's gay marriage it's full equality 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 and we made the maximum demand over and over again and in 2011 we won and then several years later we're winning nationwide because you start at the maximum and you demand it because that the maximum is right. And if you keep on pushing it, eventually history catches up to you. Yeah, you need that maximum demand because if you yeah. come in ready and saying like, oh, I'm going to negotiate, mm -hmm. then you're you're already giving up. Mm -hmm. You're you're giving up so much and you're kind of like going into a fight with your hand tied behind yep. your back. Mm -hmm. And so the other side, which is never going to give, mm -hmm. like they always go full measure, forces yes. of reaction and capital. It, if they can take everything, they will. So you have to be prepared to fight. And I think like you were saying, like it's crucial to have the working class institutions, the movement mm -hmm. organized around a concrete full demand. And mm -hmm. that's how you can really build power. So I just want to remind our listeners that you are tuning in to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. To connect with us after the show, you can email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com. You can also find us on our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com or on Twitter, at NYCRPM. Today, we're talking with Jabari Brisport about his, as well as the other NYC DSA squads, campaigns for state senate and state assembly. We're going to, uh, later in the episode, we're also going to be talking about how these campaigns relate to the Bernie Sanders movement. Um, but before uh, we do that, we want to get to a Jabari, a clip from a Jabari Brisport fundraiser that um, happened, I believe, 
earlier this month in Brooklyn. So uh, let's let's roll that clip, and then we'll be back with Jabari talking about the importance of racial justice in a socialist movement. Uh, Jabari Brisport, who I met four years ago yes. mm-hmm. when we were um, we were uh, canvassing for Bernie in Newark, New Jersey, and we were um, he was holding on to my side view mirror because it was falling off my car. <laughs> Got a very strong right arm. Um, and Jabari is now running um, with the support of um, Democratic Socialists of America. Which is a very State Senate in the 25th uh, district. So I'm going Jabari, take it away. So a little bit about myself. Again, my name is Jabari Brisports. I was born in Bed-Stuy. I grew up in Prospect Heights. And I'm a public school math teacher in Crown Heights. And I want to say it's because of Bernie Sanders that I'm a democratic socialist. And that's what democratic socialism is to me. When I hear Medicare for all, I hear care for all. I hear we believe in a world where anyone can have the right to health care or education or clean water and clean air, right? And a safe world and a clean environment. Everyone has the right to these things. The right to be loved and respected as human beings and equals. And you're all here tonight because, like we say, not be us. You believe in a New York state and a country and a world where everyone... Regardless, if they don't even look like you or don't even believe the same things that you do, or maybe they don't even like you because you're a, a cursed liberal or cursed socialist, you believe they have the right to health care. And you believe their children have the right to education. And you believe they all have the right to clean water. And I'm happy that you're all fighting here with me today. It's people like you that trudge out on a cold, like, dank January night for a political event. Because you all know that there are thousands of people that are homeless in this state. And you know there are millions of people that are uninsured in this country. You know there are billions of people on this planet who are at risk of climate change. You know there are trillions of dollars at stake and another war we're about to launch into in the Middle East. But you know what? Because you're here and because you're supporting and because you're fighting and we're fighting together, in about three months, I'm going to be successfully on the ballot. In about six months in June, I will be winning my New York State Senate primary. In about seven months, in July, Bernie Sanders will walk out of the DNC with the Democratic nomination. It's because of people like you coming here and fighting and believing in something that's greater than any one of us individually. Twelve months from now, January 2020, I'll be going to Albany and Bernie Sanders will be going to the White House. And as you could just hear from that clip, Jabari is not only great on the radio, he's also great giving speeches <laughs> at fundraisers. Uh, so, th- I mean, that was, I'm, I'm hyped up. I'm, I'm ready to go knock on some doors, do some text banking, give some money if I, especially if I had more of that. But, uh, um, so, <laughs> so the, the weekend of that fundraiser in Brooklyn, you also had a racial justice, um, angry hour attended an anti-war protest at Senator Schumer's house and had multiple canvases. What's your average week like right now? And what's your organizing strategy to win your state Senate race? Thanks, Jack. My, my weeks are wild right now. I am, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm still a full-time public school teacher with all that involves. So during the day, I'm, I'm there. I'm at, at my school ensuring 
uh, the students in my community have the best possible education I can give them because truly, I know it's cliche, but the children are the future and like, just they are going to be the ones to fix, you know, the stuff that capitalism has has wrought on this world. But once the school day ends, it's down to the campaign. So I'm out in the community organizing. I'm knocking on doors as much as I can, talking to people. I'm at meetings. I'm attending actions. Like right after this radio show, I'm actually going to Borough Hall to um, give a statement and talk about this really bad rezoning that's happening in Sunset Park. And the reason we're going to win is because we are bringing new people into the movement. So, for example, at this angry hour we had, you know, for those who don't get it, it was like a spin on having a happy hour. It was like an angry hour because, because you know, New York is racist and so is so is America. So <laughs> this racial justice angry hour, and there was some great, you know. Uh, black people and people of color that showed up that I've never seen at a DSA event. So we created a space that was more welcoming and non-traditional that they were more likely to come to. And it was great to talk to them and hear their thoughts and really start to get ideas. You know, the Slate's releasing this decarceration platform, which I mentioned briefly earlier, but it's really... um it's really going to fight against mass incarceration and, and our battle to end mass incarceration in New York. We're talking about ending cash bail, ending solitary confinement, decriminalizing sex work, and even just transition to ending mass incarceration, just getting back incarceration levels to 1950 levels in New York, where it was like literally one-fourth of what it is now. So that's how far we've come from the war on drugs and just the racist criminalization of poverty in this state. And, um, you know, we're, we're still tweaking it, but look, get excited for it because it's going to be really good. And we, you know, capitalism and racism are so, so, so intertwined. And like the fight for racial justice is just critical to any fight against capitalism. And it's critical to all of our campaigns. Uh, I, first of all, I really like the term angry. Hour. I mean, I, I think it is, Particularly works in a, uh, when you're focusing on like the the horrors that uh, black and brown communities have just had to suffer yeah. under and having a place to express that. But I think it would work for uh, most people leaving their jobs and <laughs> people just pissed off at the state of our capitalist society. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I think you were really hitting on um, like how that's kind of shaping your campaign, your vision of racial justice. So like, why is racial justice? Why is centering ra- racial justice so important? important for the socialist movement and how are like are you reaching out to um communities that might not be normally uh talked to by a candidate for state senate okay awesome so let me start with a personal story too of like why racial justice is centered to my theory of change um for for socialism against capitalism which is you know, my my first moment where I, I guess I want to say I came out as a socialist was uh, during the 2016 um, election. Um, I think after the primaries had ended, I was in the shower, which is where I have my best political thoughts. And all? <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking to myself about the word capitalism. And I just had this connection that, you know, slavery was capitalism like black people were brought here as capital we were brought here as a product to be sold and traded on a market and my mind just started spinning on how well then sharecropping was also capitalism and so was redlining was an example of capitalism and housing and racism and how those intersected um the war on drugs for profit for profit policing for profit prisons and just looking and thinking about the financial crisis after 2008 how black people were some of the worst to recover after it and i realized like oh if i've been fighting racism i've got to fight capital 
capitalism. They're so, so intertwined. I've got to, I, I can't really end one without the other. So I think it's critical for fighting that. And even like, in our platforms, like racial justice, we have a decarceration platform, but racial justice pervades everything in the platform. When we talk about like uh, the, uh, the New York Health Act and single payer for all, like it's it's black women that are um, have these high mortality rates, right? Because you know the hospitals in like poor and lower lower income communities are not funded with the right staffing ratios. It's black people that are suffering some of the worst eviction rates. When we talk about housing, this past summer, when we talk about energy and kind of cutting off power, it was in predominantly black and brown communities that they shut off power to. So when we're fighting against capital, we're fighting against racism, and it's so so critical. And we're going out and we're partnering with community groups. And one of the other things we're doing are just holding town halls. So both myself and Ferris Front Forest are going to be speaking at a healthcare town hall. In a couple of weeks, we'll be doing a housing town hall and just bringing in people from the community to talk about our vision and you know, how we're fighting racism and capitalism. And we'll be doing these things and just making sure we're reaching out and bringing more and more people in because you know, this movement only works if we keep on growing it. Um, DSA has grown exponentially, but we need to be 10 times as large. And that comes from bringing in a lot more working people, especially black people and working people of color into the movement. I think you just hit on like so many um, important points and like a really, it's a really critical way to think about, um, I'd say even more than just these issues, but the, the social relations, the society that we live in mm -hmm. that, racism and like the hyper exploitation mm -hmm. but and then also the like hyper appropriation of resources of uh, communities of color and I'd say like especially um, the black community and then the indigenous community mm -hmm. here in the United States how that has been so essential for both the the functioning of the capitalist economic mm -hmm. system but also reinforcing its ideology where you could divide up the working class mm -hmm. against itself and mm -hmm. you have white people think like oh I'm, I'm better than these other people. So this thing is working for me, mm -hmm. even though everyone's getting exploited, but black people are getting exploited that mm -hmm. much more. Mm -hmm. So there's, it's a way of kind of creating these certain hierarchies. Um, so, uh, I do want to roll to another clip of a, uh, fundraiser, um, that Nancy Romer hosted, who is a member of NYC DSA Eco Socialists, the People's Climate Movement New York. And, um, part of the PC, PSC CUNY union who hosted a Jabari and Bernie fundraiser at her home in Brooklyn. So why did you have this fundraiser for Jabari and Bernie Sanders tonight? Well, I wanted there to be some cross fertilization and also to get people engaged in the campaign. You know, what I said that earlier, that it's so important that people themselves participate in a group that's very active, but also to, to project to the world, there's, there's a whole Bernie world out here. You know, it's a social world, it's a political world, it's a friendly world. You can join it only by, by working, doing the work, you're in the world. And, um, we have to create movements that are good to people, that feed people emotionally and physically, and that welcome them. And and that's what, you know, we do with these parties. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of people downstairs were mentioning kind of a lot of the dark things that are happening right now. You know, we're on the Absolutely. precipice with another war. Australia is burning. But there did seem to be a lot of hope. And also, you know, fundraisers have been 
a major kind of thing in the headlines of this presidential thing. You know, how is this different than, you know, Pete Buttigieg's Wine Cave yeah. fundraisers? I was thinking of saying, you know, welcome to the Wine Cave. Um, but I didn't, it, it, I, I forgot to say that. Um, but, um, you know, this is a truly grassroots effort. And uh, one of the things that Bernie talks about that I have always believed in, in a lot of ways, Bernie and I sort of came up very similarly. We came up similarly, not just in terms of the fact that we grew up about 10 blocks apart from each other and similar ethnic background. My parents were a little bit more middle class. They were both college-educated city workers, so we were never wealthy, to say the least, but we never really worried about you know, poverty. But that politically, I've always been aligned with Bernie for a very long time, many, many decades. And I've heard him speak many times. See the way he interacts with people. He would make a veggie lasagna and a chicken dish and serve, you know, for 200 people. That's how he would uh, campaign. And he would do a 15-minute presentation and they would ask him questions for an hour and a half. And it was back and forth, and everyone knew him, and he took your questions seriously. He listened well. That's his orientation, is to listen to people, to have an honest interaction, and to grow collectively from the experience. So for me, Bernie, you know, Bernie is a transformative character, and um, we're in desperate need of transformation. And I guess the other thing that I wanted to say um, as uh, as an official elder, uh, next month I will be 73. And it's very hard to look in the future and not have a certain level of despair. It's, it's not going to be good. It's going to be very hard. And I think that our generation has to put the effort in now to try to regain some of our own integrity a- in order to do our share to provide a livable world for future generations. I don't think that we have the right to give up and to say, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about it, or they'll solve the problem somewhere, or it's too big for me. Bullshit, it's not too big for you. Find something and dig in. My younger son asked me, um, would I have kids again if I were thinking about having kids now? And the truth is, I wouldn't. But I, I just didn't have the heart to say that to him. So I said, well, you know, when we were having kids, thinking about having kids, we thought the world would be getting better. But now we know the world is not going to get better. And there are going to be a lot of hard things. And I might have one, but I would definitely never have more than one because of resources and also because I feel that I'd have to keep doing the work. And it's harder to do the work with kids. So that's a very sad, for those of us who grew up believing that, you know, the world was our oyster, we could do anything we wanted, we could go to school, we could become educated, we could have a certain amount of economic security, all those post-World War II dreams that we had, and for many of us, realities, our kids are not going to have that. And that's, that's a real failure on our part, and we have to try to make good with what years we have left. So to me, there is something compelling about continuing the work until we can't anymore, we can't do it anymore. And there's something also very hopeful, too, about doing that work, you know, some at the same time for Bernie and then somebody who's so much younger, like Jabari, who's a millennial, you know, and having those 
you know, that history of organizing, but also this like really fresh approach of young people who are like, no, this, we're not going to just accept the world that you're handing us, you know, and I don't know, for me, that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. And somebody said to me, oh, Velman at Montgomery, I like her very much. Whoever she endorses, I'll endorse. Say, well, but, you know, she may be working from an old paradigm that worked for her, but maybe it's not going to work in the future. Maybe we need a new paradigm. Maybe we need young, more vibrant, more progressive, further left, not afraid of the establishment candidates to do the work that the movements are needing to be done. And um, I said, just hear them out. Don't, you know, say, well, I'm just going to go with whoever the, the old leader endorses. Try to keep your mind a little open on this. But I, you know, one of the things that I love about being in DSA and being in the climate movement in general is, you know, there are a lot of young people who are doing great work. I never feel like, oh, the world is over because, you know, no one's doing anything. I never feel that way. I always know and I can name the great people that are doing the really important work. And that's, to me, so important. You are listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. To connect with us after the show, you can email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com. You can find us on our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com, or on Twitter, at NYCRPM. Today, we're talking with Jabari Brisport on his run, as well as the broader NYC DSA squad's run for state Senate and state assembly in 2020. And we're also talking about how that relates to the broader Democratic Socialist electoral campaign that's happening right now, the Bernie Sanders 2020 campaign. And while that clip was rolling, we were talking here in the studio, and uh, Engineer Reggie, as always, has great wisdom bringing up how... You know, the corporate media is definitely preparing their onslaught, that the capitalists who own the media do not want a Bernie Sanders presidency. So they're going to do everything they can. They're going to throw everything against the wall, you know, promote these ridiculous rumors as a means to undermine him. And what that shows is obviously don't trust the capitalist-owned media, and also highlights the importance of independent media like WBAI. So if you really uh, want to you know, build working-class institutions, show your support for the socialist movement, or you just really oppose the people who own all the corporate media and really just the nonsense that's put out there every day, go to WBAI.org, and you could... Uh, you can go to WBA.org um, forward slash BAI buddy and sign up to support uh, this radio station. You can do that in the name of Revolutions Per Minute. Um, just you know, slide the tab over there. Commit to supporting the, us on a monthly basis. It's really, really important if you want to fight back against capital and the forces of reaction. So we really appreciate your support. And we want to hear from you soon. So uh, if you want to start calling in at 212-209-2877, again, that's 212-209-2877. Just call in while I'm uh, continuing to talk about uh, with Jabari about these really important issues. So I do want to ask you, since we were just discussing it, mm -hmm. um, like, why is something like independent 
media so important? Um, why is having like um, voices like ours and you know everything that's kind of emerging across um, the I guess media ecosystem is one way of describing it. Like, how does that help um, promote a campaign that is fighting back against capital like yours? Thank you, Jack. It's super important for independent media to be uplifted and supported in this time because, you know, we need a media that's not beholden to a profit motive because when they are built into a profit motive, they start ginning up controversy out of nowhere or focusing not on the things that will help working people, but the things that will get the most views and therefore the most ad dollars. So, you know, that's why we may not see um, incredible protests or movements being played out on TV because that doesn't generate views. But, you know, the latest little gossip or whatever about um, campaigns or the this or that might. And so the focus is way off. But independent media can really, really focus on the issues that are going to um, help working people and uplift people and focus on the things that we should be focusing on. So it's super important that we, we continue to support independent media. Let's uh, turn back to your campaign, mm -hmm. as well as um, Bernie Sanders campaigns, which are both committed to mm -hmm. actually helping working people. So like, why is it so important to combine um, campaigning for both um, campaigns? And how have you been doing that within your own organizing? And like, talk about the influence that Bernie, and you've already mentioned this earlier, but maybe just uh, expand on it a little bit, the influence that Bernie has had in your path to becoming a organizer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Bernie Sanders is the reason I am a socialist now. I mean, he was the one that really got me thinking about the term. And then I realized I was a socialist in the shower <laughs> <laughs> after, uh, after Bernie's run in 2016. But it's really great to be um, collaborating with that campaign or I guess cross endorsing or connecting with that campaign on mine because they're so interwoven and it's great that the slate is able to really focus on the same fight and issues but at a local level because that's what socialism is it's local it's it's the people organizing together with the with their neighbors and their community to fight against the um, the powers that be or the institutions that oppress us so it's great to be knocking on doors and talking to people in public housing about what a homes guarantee would mean or really getting enough money to fund and rehabilitate NYSHA and it's great to be talking to people on the streets about a green new deal especially this past weekend where it was it felt like spring in January <laughs> yeah in that was a bit strange it was super strange i i didn't know whether to like <laughs> be happy about it or i mean i talked to my camp we were out knocking on doors on saturday i had to take my jacket off it was so warm and i i said it's a great day for canvassing but i am indeed sorry about the climate change <laughs> it's so warm on saturday but it's great to be talking to people on the streets about what a green new deal for new york could be and like locally what it means to uplift and prioritize um frontline communities like in my camp my my district, Red Hook and Gowanus, are primarily POC districts that have been seriously affected by climate change. Hurricane Sandy wrecked Red Hook, and they did not see the improvements for a long time. Yeah, I mean, uh, 
it's that was one of those days where it was like, wow, this I guess this is kind of great, but it's also terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is it's sometimes how I feel when I'm enjoying uh, a lot of things these days. <laughs> is the the specter of uh, climate change is hanging over us all. Uh, so I do want to ask you a couple more questions, but I do want to uh, open up our phone line so that our listeners can also um, speak with you briefly. Um, so we'd love to hear from you. Please call us at two one two two zero nine. 2877. Again, that number is 212-209-2877. So, like, when you've been out canvassing, uh, what has been the response to Bernie so far? And maybe if any of our listeners want to talk about their feelings about Bernie, we're happy to hear that, too. And how do the issues that um, the NYC DSA squad are running on compare to the issues that Bernie is running on? Okay, awesome. Thank you. So when I talk to people, if they know about Bernie, they like Bernie. That's just by and large, especially we've been talking to a lot of working class people in public housing. If they know about Bernie, they like Bernie. And there are we have been meeting people, just bringing more people, not even into the campaigns, but just in the politics. Like I think we forget, and even I forget too, of just the masses of people that are, have no political engagement whatsoever, and that's not anything on them. That's they are working a bajillion hours a week, and they don't have time to follow the news cycle. And I've even been knocking on doors, trying to talk about Bernie, and hearing people and asking people who they're supporting in the presidential campaign. They ask me who's running. Right. And I get it. And then I get a chance to talk about Bernie and the movement. And it's exciting for people to hear about a candidate that's fighting for them and fighting for working people on the issues that he is running on and the squad, which is making sure that everyone can get health care. Everyone can get housing. Everyone has a fair education. Everyone has access to clean water, air and a good environment. Yeah, really connecting mm-hmm. all these issues, the problems that people are facing in their life and say there is actually something that we can do about this. We can build power and we can transform things by mm-hmm. like really getting involved and getting organized. Mm-hmm. So it looks like we have a couple callers um, into revolutions per minute. We're uh, always excited to hear from our listeners. So you are live on Revolutions Per Minute on WBAI. What's your name and what's your comment or question? Please keep it brief if you can. Yeah, hi. My name is John. I live in Staten Island. Hey, John, how's it going? Uh, Pretty good now. You guys are inspirational. Uh, I'm a little out of breath. Uh, today, with the news, you know, that Bernie and, and Elizabeth are at each other's throat. I was buying into that crap from CNN and MSNBC, and now I see it for the ploy that it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jamari, is that the, the candidate's name? And you're incredible. Uh, you're inspirational. Uh, BAI is critical. It's the only truth out there. And people, please contribute. Help. BAI must survive. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for that call, John. Uh, we really appreciate your support and those kind words. Um, do we have another caller? Uh, so I guess somebody decided to uh, drop off. But Jabari, you want to add to that? Yeah, I just want to say, John, thank you so much for calling in. That was those were really amazing comments to hear. And also just want to plug, you know, DSA has a chapter in Staten Island now, which you should totally check out. We need people like you fighting down in Staten Island. A lot of work to be done down there. And um, thank you for being part of the movement and for taking the time to listen and calling in. You're the real MVP. Yeah, we love to hear from uh, callers who, I mean, who are both committed to these politics and also like 
our show can maybe impact them and maybe give them a a vision of a, a better tomorrow and getting out of the uh, I guess the fog of corporate media. And I would just, we are, our phone lines are still open if anyone wants to call in. Again, that's 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. So as you were mentioning before, Jabari, you are a public school teacher. Mm-hmm. And teachers are the number one um, profession that donates to Bernie Sanders alongside um, a lot of service employees at um, Walmart, um, Starbucks. Um, so as a public school teacher, um, why do you think so many teachers are donating to Bernie Sanders? Thank you so much for asking that question. I know that every day I go into school and I'm surrounded by kids that believe transformative change is possible. They have nothing but hope and optimism, and they think that a revolution can happen and that the world that they were born into is not the world they have to see stay on. And that, that I think that affects teachers, that sense of optimism and hope and belief that a better world, a radically different better world is possible is a big reason why. And also teachers, I mean, we just want to make sure the world is good for our students. Um, climate change is so critical. I want my students to have a planet to live on. We need a Green New Deal. And there's no middle ground on it. To quote Bernie Sanders, there's no middle ground that can be taken on climate change. We either fight it or we don't. And that's something that I think about when I look into my, you know, I, I teach middle school. So they're almost like they're like babies to me. I mean, they're 10, 11 year olds. They're just so bright and so adorable. And I want to make sure that I leave a better, I leave the world better for them than, than I found it. Yeah, my fiance is also a public school teacher mm-hmm. and um her experience has been like really crucial in radicalizing me just hearing the stories about her students and how also the the such the hard work that teachers do. Mm-hmm. It's it's really really tough stuff and I think it just highlights and it's obviously not just teachers there are so many jobs where people like Mm-hmm. You're you're biking around the city to drop off food. That's mm-hmm. really hard. That's harder than being in an office or mm-hmm. like going to the golf course and talking to clients. <laughs> and yet the pay for mm-hmm. those people, for the corporate executives, is so much more mm-hmm. than teacher who's producing real social wealth, who's mm-hmm. adding real value to society. I believe we have another caller. Um, so I just want to get this caller in uh, before we wrap up, and then we'll give you a final comment for the day. Um, so uh, you're live on Revolutions Per Minute on WBAI. What's your name and what's your comment or question? Please uh, keep it brief. We're coming to the end of the show. Hello? Hey, how's it going? You're live on WBAI. Uh, oh, thank you. Uh, my name is Bernie. I live in Manhattan. And I just want to make a comment that very few people discuss. Uh, we have a tariff war with China. As a result, uh, the the Chinese government is purchasing less farm goods uh, from the farmers out in the Midwest, and they're hurting. Now, uh, the president says we're going to be subsidizing uh, the farmers so that uh, they have some money coming in. So my comment is this. Isn't this a form of socialism because we're using taxpayer dollars, uh, dollars that you and I pay in the form of taxes to subsidize farmers, and this is not capitalism. This is socialism. Um, so I would – this is, a, I'd say, a complicated and maybe a, f- a philosophical question that would be hard to explore in the time we have left. But I, th- I think it is important to note that the government doing something is not merely socialism. Like this tariff war is – 
um, to benefit certain factions of the capitalist class, in particular the pharmaceuticals and the tech companies that want to further penetrate the Chinese market. So this is just typical state policy that is um, using its funds to maybe put down a, a class that the Republicans are, are a section of the working class that Republicans are more dependent upon, and then but using that really to empower factions of capital. So the government doing something, the government. Uh, under capitalism actually does a lot. It just tends to do that on ben- in benefit of the capitalist class unless the workers are organizing and making demands. And then when you're redistributing wealth in a really transformative way, something like a socialized healthcare system, that is socialism. I think you could make a real argument that like a public education is um, very socialistic. Um, but uh, I think that there's not enough time to really expand upon that. Uh, so we are about to wrap up. Um, and before we do, I just want to thank you, first of all, for coming on. You've uh, been a really great guest, and I'm always uh, really happy to have you on here. Thanks for having me. Um, but how can people learn more about your campaign? Um, how can they get involved? And then also, how can people um, get involved in the Bernie campaign? Awesome. Thank you for asking, Jack. So if you are interested in getting involved, one, you're awesome just for considering it. Again, we need more people in the movement. We're going to be knocking on doors every single day because that's what it's going to take to win is talking to as many people as possible and bringing them into the movement for their own liberation, truly. So from my campaign, if you want to get more involved, it's Jabari for State Senate dot com. And again, my name is Jabari with a B as in boy. Um, and if you want to get more involved with the stuff New York City DSA is doing for Bernie. You can see all our events on socialists.nyc. That's socialists.nyc. So plug into both. And this is the political revolution. You are a part of it and you are necessary and you are appreciated. So come on through. I uh, couldn't have asked for a better way to end the show. So thank you again so much for coming on. We're going to keep our listeners updated on this campaign, all the campaigns of the NYC endorsed candidate, NYC DSA endorsed candidates, as well as the Bernie campaign in the weeks and months to come. Um, so you've been listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener sponsor WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM, and we'll be back next week, Tuesday at 5 p.m.